You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. We live. Welcome to the Locked On Hornets Podcast. I'm Walker Mail alongside Doug Branson. We are coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do. That's make more sales. Make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets and on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Locked On Hornets. You can find myself on Twitter at Walker Mail and Doug at Doug Branson NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Visit LockedOnSports.com to check out all of our podcasts on the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, and fantasy sports. James Borrego press conference took place today at 11 a.m. He won the presser today. I enjoyed it. Doug, I know you were impressed. It seems like the entire city of Charlotte was pretty impressed. Doesn't seem like there was many negative comments about it. Unlike Mitch Kupchak's press conference which kind of left you with a bad feeling. You leave this one feeling good about the guy they just hired. And Mitch Kupchak, you feel a little bit better about his responsibilities, about his due diligence of what he did with this hire in James Borrego because he knocked it out of the park with the press conference and because he also mentioned in Borrego's conference today that Mitch said he interviewed at least 10 candidates and they felt like this was the best one. So it seems like they really did their work on this. Yeah, the process started about a month ago and they they made a hire somewhat quickly they weren't the first team to hire a head coach but they found their guy they obviously had a clear set of of boxes that they wanted to check that was the that was the buzzword coming right. from Mitch Kupchak a lot of so many boxes checked it sounds good by James Borrego but he So came, you trust the process the process started all that time ago and you trust it Well listen you you see all the names that they that they went after and they're all names that are widely respected by the league and honestly that's all you can ask for and I thought Borrego came off as intelligent as passionate, uh, as informed on the team. And I think that's all you can ask for as well. More importantly, Doug, there's something that needs our attention more than the James Borrego press conference. Oh, yeah. There is. And that's what's happening up there in Boston wine country, I guess now, as it's becoming. <laughs> um, former New England quarterback Drew Bledsoe, pre-Tom Brady, if you can remember such a time, dabbling in wine these days. And there's been a fantastic developing relationship between Drew Bledsoe and Terry Rozier, of all people. Why is Drew Bledsoe getting podium time during the NBA playoffs? Because it's important stuff, Doug, because Drew Bledsoe needs to let us know about his wine. They're wearing each other's apparel. It's all very good. It's all very fine. I'm, I'm here for the Drew Bledsoe press conferences and the developing relationship between the two. The probably even with the two best players on the Boston Celtics being off still talking about Terry Rozier, probably still the fourth best player on the team. I don't know. Something around that age. You better be fifth, careful. Rachel fifth. Nichols. I know. Come after you. I know. Sir. I know. And I love me some Terry Rozier. How can he not after the playoff performance? But so does Drew Bledsoe. And it's pretty cool to see that friendship take place. So when Bledsoe's wine ventures, the former QB has now conducted a Terry Rosé in honor of his buddy Terry Rozier. So it then became our goal, obviously, to concoct an NBA vineyard in which we produce some of the best hardwood classics and turn them into some of the most creative reds and whites and whatever you may have in wine. Oh, yes! Oh, yeah. I'm very excited about this, more so than even the Borrego press conference it's going to be awesome to try to think of some of these names. Do you have any appetizers, any kind of just starter wines for us today, Doug? I feel like this podcast needs to become the premier locked on podcast for wordplay. <laughs> like I feel like if we did that, if we succeeded at that, 
then I would feel fine with the legacy of this podcast. Uh, we actually uh, asked our amazing listeners on Twitter. They came up with some good ones. Shout oh out to you gosh. guys. So many good ones. Keith went with Derek Rose. Fantastic. Classic. Suntan Superman. Chardonnay. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a playoff one. And Adam has Demalbeck DeRozan. All solid too. Appreciate the pre. What you have a fa- I mean, Chardonnay is pretty good. Chardonnay, yeah, that's fantastic. My favorite Chardonnay, one is actually yes, from I Panthers Gym. That. Us Americans always butcher the French wines. Chardonnay. <laughs> uh, Panthers Gym had this one. Walker, how about this one? Boone's Farm Zeller. <laughs> I mean, it kind of rolls. I guess it works. <laughs> it works. That was fantastic. It was good. All right, we'll have some more coming. We'll up. have some great ones. I I don't know if I want to give mine up yet. I feel like I I have some good ones that I'm I'm kind of excited about. There's some that maybe that maybe I could just throw out there. I think was it uh our guy Rich Kingston? I think he threw out Car Merlo Anthony, which is fantastic. Oh, so good. I believe it was him. I need to double check and make sure I have that right. But Car Merlo Anthony is a very good one. You mentioned the Derek Rose. I'll mention those. You can have maybe a brother's wine where you can have Malik, Jalen, and Derek Rose, and they can all come together and create their own wine. Yes. And then we can go to the Rose Garden in Portland where it is manufactured. Just Rose everywhere, all in Portland. Ricky Rose, yes. I love it all, and we will be coming up with more NBA wines throughout the rest of the show. More on Borrego's Presser. We'll have plenty of sound on that. NBA Wines, we got it all next. Stick around on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. I'm Walker Mail, alongside Doug Branson. You are listening to the Lockdown Hornets podcast. The one draft pick you hit on was Kimba Walker, and you, you drafted Bismack Biamba before him. Oh! You got it right the second time, which is great. I am too smart. SMRT. But you drafted Biombo before Kimba Walker. So, <laughs> again, you almost messed that one up as well. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. If you want to support our show and the amazing people that put it together, consider joining our Patreon community. For as little as $1 a month, you can help us keep making the daily Hornets content that you've come to trust. Go to patreon.com slash LOH. There's a link in the description of this episode. Get double entries into our contest and access to content before anyone else. Patreon.com slash LOH. Every dollar goes to making this the best Hornets talk in Charlotte. Walker, I just sipped on a delicious Kenneth Fariesling. Dry, <laughs> dry, I, and delicious. It sounds fantastic. Is it dry? I Yeah, that probably is dry. Dry with fruity notes. Yeah, it's it's a little wild now. I mean, it's probably a little wild in your mouth, that Kenneth. What, what, can you repeat it again? I'm sorry. I'd can you repeat you. wild in your mouth again? <laughs> well, Kenneth I mean, Fariesling. That's, that's kind of the wine that I consider what a Kenneth Fariesling would do. I mean, it's just a, it's a blast. It's a blast of flavor that I just don't think a whole lot of other wines give you. So I like that one. Yes, thank you very much. I hope to sip on some myself later on. As we stated, James Borrego made a great first impression with the introductory press conference. That's kind of the easy part. You can study for that. You can make sure that you're all good. But it's still very good from him. I mean, you still need to come in, knock it out of the park, unlike 
what our general manager did here in Charlotte and James Borrego did the exact opposite. You leave again, once again, feeling very good about what Borrego said. I think you feel good about the passion that he has. I think you can see his genuine, legitimate excitement here. He talks about growing up in New Mexico. He talks about being the assistant for the San Antonio Spurs. He talks about developing relationships. I'm here for all of it. It seems like all the Charlotte Hornet fans are as well. I'm a fan. And again, first impression, you can check that box off. Fun fact from uh, James Borrego. Well, two fun facts, actually. One, he prefers to be called JB. He does deserve that. We need. We probably should start calling him JB if that's what he prefers. I, I'm a real stickler about that. If they want to call, be called by JB, probably should call him JB. So JB It's going to be weird, but that, I'll that's call him cool. JB. Moving forward, he will be referred to as JB. And then the second fun fact is that Greg Popovich did not know JB's <laughs> name in the first year that he was with San Antonio and would call him Ray Romano. Everybody loves Ray. Do you Raymond. see it? I see it a little bit. I see it. I see it. And good job by Greg Popovich to be able to say it. I mean, because I I see it when you start to look at it. I wouldn't have thought of it myself, but certainly he does look like it a little bit. Levitard, uh, on the Levitard show, they made the vampire reference. They are. They are going with the vampire reference. Not as strong as maybe some other vampires, but James Borrego, maybe a little of that in him. Transylvania-ish. I, maybe he's he's probably from the suburb of Transylvania. I don't know if he's from the heart of the town. Like Rick Pitino, he's the mayor. I don't know if there's anybody else. Who who else are vampires? Do we can we think of other names that are vampires from Dan Levitard's show? I can't think of anybody all else. I, really. All I know are those two. Those are the two vampire Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, yeah. I see it with Borrego a little bit. It's it's no Rick Pitino, but then again, who is? So again, Borrego does knock it out of the park. And we'll get to a sound now. We have some sound bites from the press conference. And he said some interesting things, not just, again, with all good intentions and all just feeling good about it. He actually gave us some substance as well. And it looked like the tone of this entire press conference to me, Doug, and feel free to say what your tone of it was, but it seemed like they had kind of moved past the idea of rebuilding. It seems like they had kind of moved past the idea of getting off of this roster in a major way and that they're going to go for it with the players that they have on their roster for the most part. Unless they are just hiding their hands completely and doing it well, I would say. I mean, again, it just seems like whenever they were talking, you because you can easily slip up on that. I would feel like it doesn't seem like they were slipping up on any of that. They've left themselves, I feel like, just enough room to make some significant changes if if the perfect opportunity presented itself, Walker. But I think at this point, I feel very confident that this team is going to find some ways to continue to work around the margins at least until some of these deals start coming off the books and they have a lot more flexibility. And we'll see what corner of that room that you might be talking about as we get here deeper of what they particularly want to move because it does seem like there is a very specific part of this roster that might be gone. But we'll get to that a little later. We're going to focus on, again, that kind of mantra for this soundbite. Here's James Borrego and Mitch Kupchak discussing that they're not necessarily going about the blowing it up plan. There, there is no master plan uh, to blow up this team right now. My mentality, this is our group. This is our group, and we're moving forward with it. I'm excited about that current group as it stands right now. And I think our biggest room for growth is on the internal growth. What do you think, Doug? Well, it makes you happy if you like to see an attempt at winning basketball. I think that would discourage you if you were hoping for some kind of massive process rebuild that would result in you know, multiple, you know, top three picks in the future. I don't know where I stand on it. 
it's so tough again, but I, I'm kind of, if, if, because this is what this says to me, it says that Borrego's going to come in and take this team to an eighth seed. And, you know, just the, just weird things happen in sports. So very, very well, the Charlotte Hornets could make it in the eight or the seven seed, but we can go back to that Curtis Polk interview where Rick Bennell brings up a fantastic point about being in that purgatory of the 7 to 11 range. And I'm kind of tired of being in that 7 and 11 range. I would like to move on from that. And I don't think you see a roster right now that can get out of that. And later on in the press conference, he was asked about how he defines success next season. And he said, relevant in the Eastern Conference, but he did not want to put a number on that. And that seemed to be the 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 take from both uh, Cupchak and and Borrego, and I would ask, what does that mean? Because to me, it means making the playoffs. Because were you relevant this season? Well, I wonder though, Walker, if it's them saying this is what's best for this franchise moving forward into the future, or is this a recognition that hey, there's not a ton we can do, so we're going <laughs> to well, try to figure some things out, and then you know, then we'll assess. Two seasons from now, when all that money comes off the books. And if that's true, then fine. I just don't see how you can be relevant without making the playoffs. To me, it seems pretty black and white because I just feel like, again, the Charlotte Hornets were a a 10 seed this season in the Eastern Conference. It's not like they missed the playoffs by a ton of games. They were the 10 seed. Detroit was ahead of them. And if you'd get three of those games that are close. Lost a lot of close games. You're battling for that 8 seed. So if you're not relevant as the 10 seed then that means you're wanting to make the playoffs. And I would even agree with that assessment, that you're not a relevant team in, the, in, in a conference unless you make the playoffs. Now, maybe it's a little different with the Western Conference when you have Denver really fighting. I mean, they had crazy things going on in that standings where you had basically 3-11 to 11 that were in a serious mix, where 11, you win three more games, you're the four seed. Crazy stuff going on there. I get that. That's not what you had here. That's not you had a little bit of a battle between Philly and Milwaukee and then Philly started to go up and then it was kind of a battle of Milwaukee and then maybe Detroit. But it didn't seem like they were ever going to make up enough ground. Same with Charlotte. I don't I don't want to be in that area is what I'm saying. I I don't think that that's the kind of area that makes you relevant. I think what makes you relevant is getting in the playoffs. And that's the one thing I don't say I'm going to have a problem with what James Borrego said, because what 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 am I going to hear alternatively? What else is he going to say in that regard? I get that. But also, I just don't know if I can really be sold on that. I got the sense from Borrego that what attracted him to this position partly were some of those veterans, that he would have a chance to coach a team that that had the potential to be relevant. But I also don't think, and I think this would be an interesting question to ask him as we move forward through this offseason, I don't think that he would be entirely opposed to moving through a rebuild to developing a team, developing players. They signed him to three years, or at least that's the report, three years with a fourth-year team option. So they're obviously looking at this hire as a long-term solution. So I don't think... Well, that's the only contract you can give him, right? I mean, you can't give him a one-year. Maybe you can give him a two-year, Yeah, I guess. But that's that's the contract you got to give him, right? I mean, it's it's a three years pretty much guaranteed. And then... So I, I, I get that, and it is great. I mean... Because what kind of message would that send if you give them you know, a two-year contract and then you're just kind of in this whole rebuild thing again? But no, I, I get it. You are in this for the long haul, and it, it is somebody that we all like. So it will be interesting to see where all of this goes, obviously, with a ton of other decisions to be made with this rebuild or retool kind of discussion that we're having right now. And 
Doug, they also discussed why the Charlotte job attracted James Borrego. He said the importance of head coaching and front office alignment is apparent in a team's success. And we'll go to James Borrego now on why he, he was attracted to the Charlotte job. You know, to partner with Mitch, to partner with Michael, to be aligned every single day is attractive to me. And, you know, I'm looking for that. I've seen that in other places in, 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 my, in my path here. And it works. We have to be aligned. If we have a shot to make this work, we have to be aligned. That's, kind of, that's right. Every organization probably needs to be that way. If you don't have your GM and your head coach on the same exact page, that's when things start to crash. And I think there were some discussions about whether Rich Cho and Steve Clifford and Michael Jordan were always on the same page about the decisions that were being made. So I think that Borrego is coming in and and laying his stake down now saying, whatever we do, we just all need to be on the same page about about what that direction is moving forward. and, And hopefully you see that. What did you think Michael and Steve's relationship was was like? Because it seems like to me that was the one relationship that was pretty good. Yeah. That it was Michael and Steve. I don't think I ever got the sense between Rich and Steve that it was extremely good. I don't know if I ever got the sense of really Steve and anybody else. Not to say that Steve was extremely disliked within the organization. But I, I at least I'm, I'm asking this because I have seen some tweets. And because this press conference has people going a little bit in a haywire, just kind of di- trying to dissect every comment. I never got the impression that Steve Clifford and Michael Jordan had any kind of problem. I think both of them were pretty open when Michael Jordan did talk that they respected the view of the other. And it seemed like Steve Clifford was well aware that it was his job and it was his role to make the decisions with what was in his realm, right? With what was put on there on the floor. And I thought it was a pretty good relationship between those two. When you study comments by Steve Clifford on what he thinks makes a, a good basketball team and what makes a good a, you know, professional basketball player, and then you study the comments that Michael Jordan has made about you know what he feels in that regard, I think they were pretty aligned. So I think they understood each other on that level. I think where the problem came in is the players that were delivered to Steve Clifford, you know, to to enact that vision. I don't think he was always given the roster that that could, you know, attack the game in the way that he wanted to attack it. And I think what you're seeing in Borrego is just a recognition that you know, time was up for the the Steve Clifford era. And I think it less had to do with Steve Clifford's, you know, philosophy of play and just more so like an energy level, a vitality, you know, something that's a little bit intangible that they felt that they could get with this young coach in Borrego. So, well, yeah, and that would go along the line of what we just discussed with the relationship triangle that was Rich Cho, Michael Jordan, and Steve Clifford. I, I would completely agree with you in that regard. Also, Curtis Polk, again, we you, you heard us mention that a couple of podcasts ago. You heard me talk about that Curtis Polk interview with Rick Bennell and player development is the thing that kept jumping out on the screen when you read that interview, jumped out on the paper, however you read it. It was something that was extremely apparent within Curtis Polk's responses, and it is also apparent in James Borrego's press conference that he discussed the importance of player development. Here's James Borrego on that kind of role that he served with the San Antonio Spurs and what he expects here with the Charlotte Hornets. My philosophy in player development is you maximize what they do well first. Don't try, to, don't try to complete the entire puzzle. Work on and maximize what they do well. They're here for a reason. We drafted them for a reason. We drafted Malik Monk for a reason. Now it's my job to maximize why we drafted him. Breaking Malik, New- Malik Monk news update. 
Doug, you got something for us? Yeah, Hornets head coach James Borrego says it's his job to maximize <laughs> why they drafted Malik Monk. Thank you for the breaking news update, Doug. We would not have known that had you not come in with that breaking news update. Also, shots fired, possibly? Are we thinking that? Here's James Borrego on how sometimes coaches lose the mindset of not being able to change a player overnight. I think sometimes we get lost as coaches in trying to create this incredible player overnight and we end up losing our, our player. Shots fired? I feel like, I mean, you don't want to call it a direct indictment. Direct hit? Because he's not he's not naming names, but I think if you paid attention at all last season, uh, there, you know, Malik Monk was on the bench for a significant portion of last season, and you heard Borrego there talking about maximizing a player's strengths. What is Malik Monk's strength? That's shooting, and not trying to basically get hung up on the fact that uh, he was unplayable on defense, but just let him go out there and shoot. You need some of that, though, right? I don't know. I'm, I'm with them on that. I mean, of course, you need, but you need some defense. But I, I'm with you, though. I, I hope that Malik Monk does is able to develop. And something that we did discuss in that Curtis Polk interview as well, so telling that interview. I feel like I'm constantly going back to that. Am I wrong about that? I feel like there was a lot of stuff there that Curtis Polk kind of gave and foreshadowed with us during the after that process. When you go back to that, we also kind of talked about this, Doug, about a head coach kind of being a babysitter in the offseason. Right. About serving as a guy who checks in, not just the however many months you're playing basketball, but also the offseason that you're constantly checking in. Hey, did you make sure you got your shots up? Did you make sure you did your workout routine? Are you eating right? Are you getting enough sleep? Did you hit that cold tub? Borrego says development is a 12-month process. That checks another box off of what Curtis Polk and the Charlotte Hornets regime really wanted in a head coach. Talking to us, talking to the front office, it seemed like this is just, it's a majority of the reason, amongst others, why James Borrego, why JB, is the head coach of the Charlotte Hornets right now. Kristaps Portzingis. Solid. Very good. Very good one. Do you have a favorite one that's been listed so far? Well, I'll give you another one that I really like. Moses Merlot. (laughs) <laughs> that was that was from a, uh, a listener. That was from right? Adam. Thank you, thank you, Adam. Moses Merlot. Moses Merlot is probably my favorite one so far. Moses Merlot is a great one. How about some names of NBA players that actually sound like they would be a wine? So this isn't these aren't play on words. Just names. I'm, I'm, of- I tried to think of this a little bit. I, I decided because this was hard enough that I just stuck with this regime. But if you got something, please. This share. guy just got released, but I would love to drink a bottle of Tyler Cavanaugh. Cav- give me, give me a Cavanaugh. Cavanaugh is a very good wine name, um, or a stiff glass of Cabaclo. Bruno, <laughs> is Cabaclo. that how you pronounce it? <laughs> Maybe. Just joking. I don't we're, know. We're not. I don't know either. I'm not. That's not one I can correct anybody on. We'll just correct. We'll just put it as a wine. One more soundbite we thought was interesting enough to play. A lot of discussion about maybe the philosophy of James Borrego. We had Philip Rossman Reich discuss that. He, it is a guy that does like to protect the paint. You heard that. Also, here's some more from Borrego on his style of play that he plans to implement. You're going to see a fast-paced team, a team that's going to get up and down the floor. Um, we want to be one of the most efficient teams in transition, first five to eight seconds. And there's a roster here in place that can play this style right now. To do that, to play the style we want to play offensively, you've got to defend. And I'm coming out of a program, and at my core, I'm a defensive guy. I understand what that looks like to be an elite defense. Um, the last three years in San Antonio, we've been first, 
first and third. All right, so there you go. Right, sounds uh, maybe not the offensive part of it. I don't think you ever watched a Steve Clifford offense and felt like you were going to attract me. But you did see that defensive philosophy that was echoed with what James Brago just said in that press conference. A lot of the same philosophies on that end. And we know from, again, discussing with Philip Rossman Reich, with looking at some of the stats with that Magic team, they did at least hone in on trying to protect the rim. 18th in the number of transition looks. That's where the Hornets ranked last season. But they were fifth in points per play. And a lot of that having to do with a guy that we just profiled uh, a show ago. Michael K. Gilchrist, but they just didn't get out into transition very much. So this would be quite a significant departure from the past few seasons. So can we answer that question we asked with MKG if this new coach does indeed want to play him as much or maybe even still significantly as Steve Clifford? Does that answer it a little bit or not really for yet? Well, he also said that he wanted to see the the three-point volume go up. Oh, uh, that would be in the no column for MKG. <laughs> no. And, and, well, and, and Dwight Howard as well. He was asked right. about Dwight Howard and... You know, said he was a productive player. I wouldn't. I would not call his comments about Dwight Howard glowing. No, that's the one that you don't feel great about if you're a player. He did. Talk, he did touch on Kimba, which every coach that comes in here is going to relish or at least revere the praise the play of Kimba Walker. He was the course. one player that all teams would talk about when you're scouting the Hornets. Nick Batum was not, and Borrego did mention Nick Batum a little bit. He did say that he had already been in touch with him. He wanted to enhance his three-point game, and his three-point game has not been all that fantastic the last couple of seasons, that he did want to make sure that not only player development was going on with some of the young guys, but also some of the veterans. And I think Nick Batum is somebody you can look in that regard. So he mentions Kimba, which is obvious. Nick, not so obvious. Interesting. Doesn't talk a whole lot about Dwight. Nothing that you can leave with this press conference thinking Dwight is a very vital part of this team. That's probably the guy you can look at and say, I'm not so sure about his future. And he, well, he mentioned that the floor is getting spaced out more and more every year. And and he mentioned that in the context of offense, that it could open some things up for Dwight underneath the basket. But that didn't always happen last season. And we, but we do know that the floor spacing that continues to increase in this league is hurting bigs like Dwight Howard on the perimeter on defense. I mean, to me, that's where his, his role becomes less and less important is that he kills you on defense because he can't switch. Well, and speaking of shots fired, you can go to Steve Clifford's comments on the Woj pod about that, about how guys that big, about how big men in the league have looked to expand their offensive game, but have not on the opposite side, tried to expand their defensive game as much. And it's because you can't defend on the perimeter when you got when you have unicorns, seven footers, out there with the ability to shoot, you know, thirty-four percent, thirty-five percent, which is at least enough to respect an open shot from that from that far. I'm telling you, like when I hear the comments from Borrego and I and I study what what Steve Clifford wanted to do with this team, they're not all that different. I really think this is a case of needing to bring in a new voice, a younger voice a, a voice uh, that comes from a prestigious program. He comes from Spurs University. You're, you're, you're you know, going to be hard-pressed to go wrong with The anyone. alumni is fantastic. Yeah, that study under Greg Popovich. But, but communication, like someone that can just bring a new message to this old group and figure out a way to win. We'll see if that's able to work. I know I'm excited to see if that works. Also, we have a ton of other things that the Charlotte Hornets need to take care of. Again, Doug, I reference frequently that me and you both put this kind of forth 
and our top things that the Hornets need that is worth paying attention to. You have Mitch Kupchak draft. You do have the rebuild or retool, which we've discussed quite a bit. And you also have the decision on what to do with Kimba Walker. Look, if, if Borrego comes in here and somehow is able to to get Nick Batum to develop a three-point shot, if they're able to solve the Dwight Howard issue, if, if Lamb, if they keep Lamb and Lamb continues to improve, then I'll say, you know what, I was wrong. Bringing Borrego in was was a very important part of this whole process. I just I don't know like where this franchise I'm still not confident where this franchise well, is heading in the next three years. Well, I don't think anything you said is a hot take. I don't know if it's anything like that. I just think uh, I'm I'm with you on that. It's just I mean, look, you know, Toronto, and we'll get into this on the second half on the other side of the break, but they just fired Dwayne Casey because when there's problems within an organization, the easiest thing to do is look at the head coach. So it also kind of shows me that how much how meaningful are head coaches in the NBA? I think they're meaningful, but also I think it goes to show you that when you have a roster problem, that that's the most important thing to change, and that probably causes the most change of anything. Because if you're telling me that another coach is going to come in Dwayne Casey's shoes and beat LeBron James in a seven-game series, then I have a hard time believing you on that, especially after what Dwayne Casey did this regular season, almost getting 60 wins. It's just there's more important things on the roster. And there's just more important things to look at. You could be the greatest chef in the world, but if you give me two cans of beans and some and some ground beef, not a ton you can do with that. I I, I mean we'll we'll see what happens, but I, I'm I'm with you. I I like this hire. I think he said all the right things. There are a lot of similarities with Steve Clifford, but also a lot of work to be done this offseason for Mitch Kupchak and company. Unless well, you like hamburger helper, in that case. That would be a delicious meal. Can't go wrong with Hamburger Helper. It helps me because I can't cook anything. All right. More NBA wines, more podcast magic. It's the Locked On Hornets podcast with Walker Mail and Doug Branson. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Did he go with Myers Leonard as his first comparison as a big man hitting from the three-point line? Oh, Funny. did I say Leonard? I meant uh, Miles Turner. Okay. <laughs> you did. I think okay. you said Miles Leonard. That was Leonard. on me. Good. Sorry about that. That's a bad mistake. I know when I think shooting big men, Myers Leonard is the first guy that comes to mind. Absolutely. I was thinking Steve Clifford and I might be Hot the shot. same wavelength. Hot shot, there. Myers Leonard. <laughs> that's that's his nickname. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Thanks for sticking around on the Locked on Hornets podcast. I'm Walker Mail. Doug Branson here with you. We're talking wine. We're talking James Borrego. Mentioned right before the break, Dwayne Casey did get fired today from his head coaching job with the Toronto Raptors. The Toronto Raptors get swept by LeBron James, and he continues his ownership in LeBronto. And the Raptors just could not move past LeBron. And Dwayne Casey pretty much loses his job because of it. Because it's an impressive regular season with 59 wins. And in the end, because you just could not get past the Cavaliers, Dwayne Casey's on the outside looking in. I'm just tired of LeBron James as a general manager getting involved in these kind of decisions for Toronto. He's telling he's telling Toronto how to run their plays. Now he's fired their coach. I just think that the GM needs to stick to GM decisions and not get involved in what's going on on the court. Well, he got David Blatt fired. He got Ty Lue fired. Now Dwayne Casey. It's like Alexander the Great. He's going from Cleveland all the way into Toronto. He is going to invade your territory. And next up, because that's what it is. I mean, if there's any other team like Toronto, 
and maybe not even in stylistic play. I think that's exactly my point, that it doesn't matter what your style is. Let's say it's Washington who has been in that kind of same exact situation, and they're not good enough to get past LeBron is. So it's really LeBron that's making you think about your franchise. It's funny to see these GMs that are contending. You're trying to figure out how to stop LeBron, and if you can't do it, then you're going to fire whoever you hired in the first place to try to find that guy who can get over that hump. I feel like LeBron should honestly demand some kind of payment from these teams because he is making decisions for Toronto about what players they bring in now about their head coach. Toronto should at least pay him more than Drake. Do you do you have do you have a problem with this? Do you think they should have fired Dwayne Casey or at least do you think you understand it to the point of actually firing him? I mean, honestly, like I, I just don't know, like what coach is going to come job, in and right? what which well. coach is going to come in and be better than Dwayne Casey yeah. with that with that particular group. Now you've why why do that and not sort of completely start over? We talked with Dan Favel of Bleacher Report today on the wake up call, and he discussed Dwayne Casey, and he tweeted this out as well. Had one of the more adaptive coaching jobs, one of the more stylistic changes from what he had done previously with this team to a team that won 59 regular season games this season. The problem is, DeMar DeRozan just can't shoot from beyond three. It's hilarious to me how... It's not Casey's fault. We have this new narrative about DeMar DeRozan and the new improved DeMar DeRozan. Look, I like DeRozan. I think he's a good player. The guy can't shoot three still. I don't I don't get why everyone was now saying that DeMar DeRozan is a new player shooting from beyond the arc. Just go look up the stats. He's shooting 32% from three this season, and he that's not his career high. Go look it up. I, I don't get it. I don't know why that narrative was able to surround everything within that conference. I, I think you talked about change with that team because the bench became a nightmare because of all the player development. It's crazy to see how much they had players develop within that second unit. And you did have DeMar change his game a little bit. You could see him change his game. You could see them play a different style. But you're still dealing with the same players. And it goes back to what you said, Doug. You can have a couple of good ones, but it doesn't beat great. And that's why LeBron is moving on once again. And we, but and the thing is, we don't know what LeBron is going to do beyond this season. Right. I mean, no. he could go somewhere else, and now all of a sudden you've made this gigantic <laughs> yep. decision yep. for your franchise and LeBron might not even be a problem. I hate season. that philosophy so much about, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to fire the head coach because it's the easiest thing to do. Why do we all understand it? Yet a guy like Majiri, who was a fantastic, or what is, what's his last name? Excuse me. The yeah, GM Majiri. The Raptors GM, a guy that has just done such a fantastic job building that team. Why, why can't he get it? He's smarter than I am. He's smarter than everyone else. Does he know something that we don't know? Here's where it might be okay is if you have a guy in mind that you want, that you think particularly works with this group, then I get it a little bit more. Oh, I've got it. I've got it. I've got but it. But it's a big risk. Brett Brown. <laughs> you might just be available. And again, there, that that one drives me crazy too. They won 50 games with a guy that can't shoot. Not good enough. Th- that's Listen, this is the reality that we're living in in the NBA right now. Well, it's championship it. or bust. We need to change it. I mean, Philadelphia... Philadelphia it, that's one of the better second half teams of the season this year. Oh, what what do you talk about? What did Steve Clifford say he probably was most disappointed in this season? That the team didn't improve from the beginning of the season to the end. What did Philadelphia do this season? They improved from the beginning of the season to the end. Can you look at the coach for that? I'm saying you can. And I'm saying you can look at the players for that. But you can look at the coach too. And Brett Brown just might get fired because they didn't go to the Eastern Conference Finals. Because everyone said it. I love it. It's 
I thought Philly was going to go, but they didn't. So there must be something wrong with that organization. So everyone change your regime. You can say that about Toronto too. I thought their offense improved significantly from the beginning of the season to to the end. They became a little less DeRozan focused. You know, it wasn't as necessary for DeRozan to go and drop 30 per game for that offense to succeed. And, and you got a lot more bench production as the year went on. But that's the one thing with coaching that I think you can look at because if they do get better from the beginning of the year to the end, that signals message translated. They delivered a message, the players understood it, and then went and executed it out on the floor, and it got better as the year went on. I don't get it. I got a little passionate. I, I hate the coaching. I hate the coaching standard in the league. I hate that if you don't do this after we expected this, but you actually exceed it, and then we have new ones for you, we're going to fire you instead. I hate it all. I need to take the edge off, Doug. Oh, yeah? I need, I, need, I don't know, just can kind, I say, of, a, just kind I, of afternoon can, cap. Can you suggest anything? I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out something to maybe just take the edge off. Yeah, our bit. buddy Rich on Twitter told us about this great new wine. It's called Shiraz Muhammad. <laughs> oh, Shiraz Muhammad. Is a, that one seems like it would take the edge off of it. Oh, man, I'm relaxing already. I got my feet up, kind of swirling the Shiraz in my hand, mm-hmm. maybe sniff mm-hmm. it a little bit. Shiraz Muhammad sounds pretty good. Listen, I you know, we talk about all these different kinds of wines, white wine, red wine, rosé, but just give me any old Zach Lavino and I'm good to go. <laughs> Zach Lavino is solid. I have some wines for you to maybe try. Okay, let me hit, hit me with them. If you're if you're kind of cheap, if you're not really wanting to spend a whole lot of money, maybe I can suggest our Eddie House wine. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> just in case you wanted that. I don't know if you're I don't know if you're kind of in a bind That's so good. monetarily. I didn't know if you're kind of in a bind. So I can offer you our Eddie House wine. Now, I've told you about our Malik and our Jalen and Derek Rose. We can mm-hmm. go up to Portland. That's where they manufacture it. Just tastes better there for some reason. Um, you had your Zinfidel curry. Yes. It has I got a- I got a little play. I got something related to it. Uh-huh. It's if you like that, I think it'll translate well to this. I have my Raja Zinfabel. Ooh, that's a tasty wine. It is, it is. And again, very relatable to the to the Zinfidel curry. Yeah, notes of orange and <laughs> persimmon. It is. Um, again, Kingston, I, I guess, who is it? It's our guy, um, Rich Kingston, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tweeted in our Carmelo Anthony, which I already mentioned. Um, do you have any more? I've got three other ones if you want to just come back and forth. If you wanted to offer, I'm offering you a lot of wine. I, I don't want you to get too drunk over there before you hand me some. Well, uh, I heard of this wine that was actually made by a former Hornets backup point guard, <laughs> Keontae Weber. <laughs> That's, I love, and you know me about my Briante Weber love. And Keontae Weber. Be my Keont- that might be my go-to. And some fava beans. <laughs> yes. Some ground beef. Some hamburger helper. Is that <laughs> weird that I just did that? That everybody just squirm as listening to their podcast right now? Let's, again, <laughs> we need to take more off the edge. I have three more for you, Doug. What about our uh, Casey Pinot Noir? Ah! It's a good one. This one's a little bit of a stretch. It's not a wine. So I... I I understand the rules. I understand I broke it a little bit. If you open up the gate a little bit, then it becomes just swung right open. How about our and, and see, I want to see if you get it. I'm I'm nervous about this one. I, I don't know how good it is. I don't know if it was if it was made correctly. Our Michael Cognac instead of Michael Doliak. Uh, is that, that's is a, that a stretch. That's a deep cut. That's a stretch. All right, all right, all right. We'll throw that one out there. We'll just stick to the wine game. I tried to get, I tried to get into other Lakers. I appreciate I just, where your head was at. I couldn't, it's a deep cut. I couldn't do it. All right, this is my favorite one personally. This one's the, the one I tried. It's my most expensive. Despite the name of it, it's the most expensive. It's my Penny Chardonnay. 
Oh, my God. That might be the winner. I know. Penny Chardonnay. I felt pretty good about that one. Holy moly. That's, that's the most, a good one. Right. That's that's the one. That's sure. the one at the end. That's what you come to the restaurant for. That's what you come to. So my house is called Males Merlot, but we serve a bunch of different kinds of wine. And Penny Chardonnay might be the most expensive in soccer. Walker Mailback. Yeah, that's a good. Shiraz Muhammad, I think, is top Shiraz for me. is fantastic. Uh, and then Penny Chardonnay is, is brilliant. And, uh, but here's, here's the important thing to remember, whatever you do, you got to let your wine breathe. And so Dax on Twitter has a great suggestion. Put that wine in an Ennis decanter. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh man, I, I can't get enough of that. Ennis. it just makes it taste better. It just makes it have almost a, a, a different kind of flavor to it. I love it all. Are we good? Are we out of wine? Spent a lot of time thinking about it and I appreciate it. Good work. <laughs> Are we good? Thanks, Eric. Do we have any more? Everybody's happy. I think we are happy. We're drunk in here right now. It's a lot of <laughs> wine we just poured for ourselves. We need to get the strobe lights going. I don't know if that's the kind of thing you have for wine, but I know we got it. We're excited. We're having fun. Any more, Doug? Are you good with that? I like it. Oh, I well, we did have, we should mention, um, and I don't know who tweeted this, but uh, the Borrego wordplay that we did yesterday, win a Borrego. Yeah. That, well, that was, yes, good job for that. Yeah, that was great. He said he came to San Antonio in his win a Borrego. Oh, it's fantastic. It is good. It's all good. It's all good wordplay. Our wines are fantastic. Thanks for drinking and listening with us. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search Locked On Hornets. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm Walker Mail. Doug Branson here. Thanks again.